You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. Today is really about a question, and the question today is, what now? I don't know about you, but I can sense the tide is turning. I'm not a prognosticator. I'm not making any predictions today. I know we have a long way to go and a long journey of reentry, but I can sense that the tide is turning. And I really do believe that today is one of those days where we're going to be able to turn the page. Hopefully you can turn a page today as you begin to think about what now. You're like, well, what was I thinking about? Well, I think a lot of us have been thinking for these past several weeks, am I going to make it? Are we going to make it through these days? But there comes a point where it begins to dawn on you, I think we're going to make it. Yes, uh, it's still uncertain and there's still loss and there's still challenges and there's still death, but we're going to make it. I believe the dawn is starting to break. I think 30 days from now, I would just think we're going to be in a completely different world than we are right now. And 30 days from there, a whole different world than where we are on that day. I believe that every month coming now, new dawn is going to be coming to our lives. And we have an opportunity today to turn that page from, are we going to make it through these days? To really beginning to ask the question, what are these days going to make of us? In other words, just asking what now? I have a chance this past year, along with a lot of people in our house, to watch how this happens close up. There's a girl in our church who's a high school senior named Nan, and uh, I was on a Zoom hangout with our high school seniors from Atlanta, Passion City Church, this past week, and we were just celebrating the fact that they're coming to this milestone moment in their lives, the end of their senior year. What does a transition look like for them moving into the next chapter, whether that's work or college? And as I'm scrolling across the pages in this hangout of all these seniors that are linked in together, there's Nan, and I'm like, this is a miracle story that she's in this senior Zoom moment. I met Nan at Grady Hospital last summer, and the day that I met her, she had come through a massive uh, traumatic moment in time. She was a part of an accident, if you don't know Nan and don't know her story, uh, in which she lost her father, and as a result of that, she was life-flighted from a lake outside of Atlanta to Grady Hospital. And they say that she could have been lost many, many times in that journey, but she made it to Grady. But then she lost her right leg as a process of coming through the backside of this accident. And when I met Nan, she was now a high school senior to be who was going to learn how to navigate life in a different way than ever before. I remember walking into her hospital room, and even in that day, I could already sense that the page was turning for Nan, where for day after day and hour after hour and actually moment by moment for a lot of days, it was touch and go. Is she going to make it? But now it was very obvious that she's going to make it. But the chance now for her is to turn the page and to turn the page from, am I going to make it to what is all this going to make of me? In other words, to ask the question, what 
now. I'm heading into my last year of high school. I'm going to learn how to live the rest of my life with a significant loss and what now. But you know what Nan did? She turned the page. And I loved that in a few weeks' time, when she was able, she came back to church in her wheelchair. And Nan had made a decision. And the decision was, what now, at least for this moment, is I'm going to keep on worshiping the same God I was worshiping before. If he was good in the daylight, he's still my God in the darkness. And five o'clock gathering after five o'clock gathering, most Sundays you'd find Nan right down near the front, on the right, in her wheelchair, hands raised to God. The what now for me is I'm turning the page. I'm going to make it. But now I have to ask the question, who's going to come out on the other side? And she was determined that a worshiper was going to come out on the other side. I remember the Sunday that Nan actually came to church walking for the first time on her prosthetic leg. And as you can see in this picture, I don't think she had 100% control of it at the moment, but she was so excited about the fact that she could stand. You can see that on her face. And it meant something to her a little bit extra in that moment because they were about to have the celebration service for her father's life, which had been postponed several months beyond the accident. And Nan wanted to be able to stand up and to walk on her prosthetic leg up to the podium to share about the faithfulness of God, what truth she'd found in Jesus, and to honor her dad. And then to see her at Passion 2020 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium as we brought this lamp that had been lighted outside of Jerusalem, traveled all the way to Atlanta and then to the stadium, brought in to our New Year's Eve gathering at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and then kind of sort of carried from student to student until it was put on a stand in the middle of the entire stadium. And the last two people bringing it down before it goes up on this stand. One of them is Nan, and she's determined, I'm going to carry this light. I'm going to carry this moment because I've turned the page. I'm going to survive. I'm going to make it through these days. I'm now starting to ask the question, who am I going to be on the other side? How can God use me on the other side? How can I rise above all of this? Because I didn't choose it. And nobody would want it. But nonetheless, I'm in the middle of it. So I'm asking the question, what now? And I believe that's the point where all of us are going to be or where we already are in this moment. It's time to turn the page. It's time to recognize we are going to come through. But it's time to ask the question, God, what do you want to do in my life as a result of all this? Who do you want me to be coming out the other side? I know by your grace, I'm going to make it through these days, but I'm starting to ask, what are these days going to make of me? And when we see the opportunity that's there, that there's actually glory in the grind, we don't despise the grind. We actually can embrace it, not say that we love it or we would have chosen it, but to say, nonetheless, we're in it. So we want to embrace it. Why? Because God can use it to do something extraordinary in our lives that may not have occurred had we not ended up in the grind in the first place. You know, we're a people who want to hurry up to the other side. I don't know how many times we've heard someone say in the last few weeks, I can't wait till things get back to what? Until things get back to normal. 
I can't wait till life gets back to normal, till our routine gets back to normal. And while there are some good normal things about life, some godly normal things about life, I wonder if God wants any of us to get back to normal. Maybe the shakeup of these days is to move us past normal to something far greater. Maybe normal in a lot of ways for us is the enemy of God's best for our lives. Maybe normal wasn't bad, but normal wasn't what God was dreaming about for our lives. And maybe a better question is, God, I'm not trying to get back to something. I want to become who you want me to become in this moment. I want to embrace this idea that there could be glory in the grind. And that through this process, that's where the beauty's coming in my life. I love this past week. We had the NFL draft. I don't know, maybe you're not even an NFL fan or a sports fan, but it's the first live thing that's been on television uh, in the evening for a while. And so I'm guessing most people in America at least saw some of the NFL draft, all virtual. And because there wasn't a physical setting with tens or hundreds of thousands of people as a backdrop, all the focus was on the stories of these young athletes that were being drafted. And the common thread in the stories was not, oh, wow, going to be a millionaire, going to sign a giant contract, just hit the jackpot. The common thread in all the stories was the grind that these young men went through to get to where they were in this moment. I have the privilege of knowing some of the early draft picks personally and knowing some of their stories. But one of the stories that I think grabbed everyone in the nation was the story of Austin Jackson. Do you remember this story? Austin Jackson, about this time last year, is playing at the University of Southern California, offensive lineman, amazing and immense talent. But his sister has a very rare autoimmune disease. And she needs a bone marrow transplant, which needs a 12 out of 12 match. And Austin's praying that he can be that match for Autumn. He's got a career, all this promise, all this opportunity, maybe a draft day waiting in the future, but none of that matters to him. He says, family comes first. And I was so blessed to be that match for my sister. In the summer, that match happened. It knocks him out of training. All those who were involved in the situation said he'll never be able to come back and play this year, but yet he did, by the grace of God, come back and play last year. He said he didn't feel 100% until halfway through the season, but I think he played in every single game, and here he was being drafted the 18th overall pick in the draft, and yes, it's a big moment, but he was filled with emotion. Why? A, because Autumn's doing well, but B, because he knew what all of these young men knew, that this draft moment was just a little part of the story. Most of the story was the grind. Most of the story was the grit. Most of the story was the sacrifice, the pain, all of what they had to go through and put into the moments after moments after moments of letting the work do its thing in them so that at the right time, you could see the glory now that had come and actually had been a part of the grind all along. And I think when you see that, it changes your perspective. I think it actually allows us 
to embrace the grind in a different way. I don't think anyone shows up for a 5 a.m. workout and says, I'm so happy today, but they're able to embrace that 5 a.m. workout because they know in this is where the glory is. And that's what our text is all about today. We're reading in the book of James chapter one. And a little bit of the backdrop of the book of James is it's a letter to the early New Testament church. And in this moment, the church is fragmented, disenfranchised, scattered all over the known world. It's scattered across the known world because of persecution of the story of Jesus, but God is using the scattering to take the message of Jesus further than it would have gone any other way. See, that always is true about the difficulty. And when we see that in our lives, when we see that there's glory in the grind, it allows us to take up this mindset that James had. Now, James has had a spiritual revolution of heart. He's a brother of Jesus, a doubter of Jesus in the gospels, not really believing that his own brother was who he said he was, but somewhere along the, the way of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, James has come to life. And now James is a leader of the New Testament church, writing to encourage this disenfranchised body who now are outside of normal. They're outside of their regular rhythm. They're all in places of hardship and distress. And just before he even takes a breath, he comes to this verse in verse two. Consider it, James says, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. In other words, not just considerate joy, this is optimal joy. This is joy on steroids. This is the gold that we're all hoping for in life. Considerate, pure joy whenever you face these trials of varying kinds. And he anticipates the question, why? Why should I consider all this hardship to be joy? And he answers it right away in verse three. He says, because you know, now that's a key word we're gonna come back to. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance, he goes on to say in the next line, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He said, here's why you can look at this situation with a lens of joy, because you know something, not that you've attended something or believed in something even, or called yourself a Christian or owned a Bible, but you've come to totally know and embrace a reality that has become a part of the fabric and the fiber of who you are. And what is it that you've come to know? You know that God uses the hardship to build perseverance into your life. And then he says, and let the perseverance finish what it wants to do in you. I think maybe the biggest risk that we run right now is as we start this gradual re-entry back into our lives, that we would re-enter and be the same person we were when we came in. That somehow we didn't let God do what he wanted to do in us through these trials and through this suffering 
and through this difficulty, we didn't let it finish the work. We, we didn't leave it in the oven long enough. We didn't let the paint dry. We didn't let it complete the process before we were quick to jump out and jump back in and say, yeah, I learned a little something or I had a little slight modification and God is saying, no, let it do its work. This word perseverance is really the word endurance. And when you look underneath it at the original language, it's the word to remain. He says, here's what God wants to do in you. He wants to make you strong so that when you stand in the next season, in the next storm, when the next wave comes, you'll be stronger because of this one and you'll stand brighter because of this one. God is calling us his people. And as his people, he wants us to be different, not superheroes again from last week, but he wants us to say to the world, I am not a solid rock, but I'm standing on one. And you can stand on him too. Our lives are sure. Why? Because our lives are on Jesus. And he's developing in us that sense of remaining. And then he says, and here's the end of it all. Let the endurance finish. Why? So that, and this is an unbelievable promise that God is speaking over our lives today. So that you may be perfect and complete. Some translations say mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, let God finish the work. We've watched um, our share of home improvement TV shows in the last few weeks. And one of them is from a couple who live in a small town in America and they take homes in their town and they rehab them and gift them to young couples and older couples who are looking for a home. And the episode that caught my eye and actually was a little bit of a Kickstarter for this series, they were finding a home for a single man in the community. Been living in an apartment. This is going to be his first home, I think. And he finally finds this house, doesn't have a big budget, but finds this small bungalow type home in their city. They decide they're going to make it perfect for him. They do their magic. He comes to see the house. And interestingly enough, they had taken the dining room in. I know you really want to hear all about the episode, right? They had taken the dining room, turned it into a study slash um, his hangout room. So he didn't have a dining room. So they said, we're going to need to put a table in the kitchen and we need the perfect size table, not too big, not too small to fit right in the kitchen. Lo and behold, as we're getting closer and closer to the finished product, the wife of the couple lets us all know that they found in storage a table that he had, perfect size for the room. And she said, but it's in bad shape. So she's telling her partner, um, the lady who's going to help her with this part of the process, we're going to need to what? Refinish the table. And I'm not really up on my refinishing skills. And so I learned a little bit in the next sentence or two that went by. She said, we're first going to have to sand it down. She said, we'll start with 80 grit. And I'm like, I know sandpaper, but I don't want to be taking a grit test right now. Uh, She said, we'll start with 80 grit and then we'll move up to 100 grit. We'll do 120, 160. Eventually we'll work our way up to 200. And she said at the end, the last layer, it'll be like we're wiping this table with a T-shirt. And I was like, man, I got a mental picture of that. 
And sure enough, they're bringing him to the house. They come through, they see the living room. They see the, what used to be the dining room. They see everything in the house. They said, let's go into the kitchen. That was his kind of favorite room of the house. He's a big cook, walks in and voila, there's the table. Was functional before in storage. Had a history and a story before in storage, but really wasn't beautiful in that moment. And there it was totally refinished. Starting with the 80 grit, hard stuff working a ways up to the 100, a little more finishing, 120, up to 200, and finally probably did have a T-shirt with the stain on it. And that thing was beautiful and as finished and as gorgeous as you can imagine. And I thought right then and there, God, that's what you want me to be carrying in these days. God, I need the work. You know, I, I feel like, Sometimes we live above the waterline, but most of what God wants to do in our lives right now is below the waterline. If you've ever been around a, an environment where there are a lot of boats in a harbor or a bay, in saltwater environments particularly, everyone admires the boat, what size it is, what color it is, what style it is. But you know, the, the true value of the longevity of the boat is below the waterline because these communities of sea creatures want to attach to the boat. All manner of other rust and corrosion can happen. And unless you really invest in the unseen, you're not going to have the life of that boat. So you see in a bay life or harbor life, you see the boats being taken into the marina, hoisted up on the forklifts, put up on a platform in the marina so that work can be done below. Or you see the little bitty boats going out all day long with the divers going in, going underwater, working underneath the boats to make sure that they're clean and functional. Why? Because what's below the waterline affects agility, it affects speed, it affects range, and ultimately it affects the endurance of that boat, whether it's going to last or not. And I think in days like these, God is saying, I want to work beneath the waterline. I want to, I want to make you mature. I want to finish what I've started. And if you're going to go through something as hard as this, by all means, let's let God do what he wants to do through it. So that when we come out the other side, we're different people, stronger people. We're more like Jesus on the other side. See, that's a part of the story of God. Sometimes that we hopscotch over. Do you remember at the end of Jesus' life, he was talking to Peter and he said, Peter, the enemy has asked for permission to sift you like wheat. Now, what kind of conversation is that? Hey, thanks for following me. Just want to let you know that Satan has come to me and asked if he can shake you down and see what's really there. Test your faith and see if it's real or not. And Jesus said, and I'm going to let him do it. And Peter says, well, I'll tell you how it's going to come out. Um, I'll follow you anywhere where I'll follow you to the death. I'll be with you all the way to the end. And Jesus says, I know that's a great sentiment. And I know you really do believe that. But before the day is over, you're going to already have denied that you know me. And so sifting, who would have thought that God wanted to sift us? But then I started thinking about these places in scripture. In John 15, it says that God wants to prune us. He wants to cut off the branches that don't bear fruit and throw them in the fire. But even the branches that do bear fruit, he wants to prune those branches so they can bear more fruit. In another place in John, it says that he asked his disciples, what are we gonna do to feed these people dinner? But he said he was asking them this 
to test them because he already knew what his plan was. So here's a God who sifts us. Here's a God who prunes us. Here's a God who tests us. And Paul said in Romans 8 that the plan all along was for you and me, not just to be a better version of us, but to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I'm thinking, how do you conform someone as selfish as me into the very likeness of Jesus? That is not going to be a powder puff ride. That's going to take the 80 grit to, to knock off the junk and a little bit of the 120 to make things more even. It's going to take a storm for God to get me to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Sift, prune, test, conform. See, this is in the mix for you and me. And so in a moment like this, that's how we can rally around the situation. We didn't ask for it. Nobody would have chosen this, but yet here we are in the midst of it. So why not ask God to use it, invite God into it, into our particular situation and say, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to change in me? What's beneath the waterline in me? How do you want to strengthen me? And how are you trying to prepare me? I love in the story of David and Goliath, when David stands in between two armies and says, I'll take down this giant for the glory of God. He, he wasn't being thrown into the fire with no preparation. Here's a boy who was out with the sheep by himself, no crowds, no TV cameras, just him and the sheep. And he has the power of God come on his life to take down a lion and to take down a bear. Why? Because God is in the process of building us up in strength, of fortifying us through the journey, of putting us in situations so that he can teach us that he's able to do through us what we can't do on our own. So that when we get in future situations, we have confidence to draw from of who God has been in the past so that we know how God is going to move in the future. And the thing is, we're turning the page. Some point we're turning the page. We're going to get through this. But now we're asking the question, what now? Who am I going to be? Am I going to come out stronger? Am I going to come out better? Am I going to come out looking more like Jesus? But here's the other part of that. There's, there's another storm coming. There's, there's headwind in another season. And it's possible that we could stand there against a Goliath and say, I never knew you were coming, but I've already seen the lion and I've already seen the bear and I've already seen how faithful God is. And what happened in the past has made me strong. The sifting, the testing, the pruning, the conforming, it's made me stronger. And I'm confident of what God can do in my life. I want to encourage you in these days to invite God into the question, what now? In other words, maybe just ask him, God, what do you want to do in my life? Instead of focusing on getting out of the storm, maybe ask God, are you, are you finished with what you wanted to do in this storm? Is your work for this season finished in me? And if not, how do you want to complete that work in me? I wrote a few questions that helped me sort of 
shape my thinking around what God might want to be doing in my life. And I don't think maybe anyone should focus on all of these questions, but maybe this week, one of these questions would rise to the surface. You would write it either literally or figuratively on the head of your journal every single day or on the whiteboard of your heart and say, God, I'm going to just sit in this question and invite you into the question and give you the freedom to answer the question and then to show me how you want me to move in this season. Questions like these. What does the pressure I feel right now need to break? In other words, am I resisting the pressure, but actually it needs to break something? You're like, God wouldn't want to break something in my life. Not in a harmful way, but he certainly would want to break a habit, a pattern of thinking. He would want to break a chain that has kept you bound. There are things that he wants to break and maybe it's this pressure that's going to break that thing. And so maybe our prayer isn't, Lord, take the pressure away. Maybe our prayer is, Lord, let the pressure break what it needs to break. If there's anything that needs breaking in my life, then let the pressure break it. You know, diamonds are formed hundreds of miles below the surface, totally out of sight from anybody and they're formed by the convergence of two things, extreme heat and intense pressure. And then they're jettisoned to the surface by volcanic activity or some other traumatic event so that they're in a place where they can be accessible to you and me, but they're formed where the, the heat is intense, where the pressure is real. And maybe God is got you in the heat right now and maybe the pressure is pretty strong but I promise you if your eyes are on him the pressure isn't going to destroy you but it may break something that he wants to break away from you so that you can be free a question like this how is this situation trying to push me out of a comfort zone a question like this how is God trying to change you a question like this, what do you see that you can now contribute to the world? See, a crisis like this activates you and me. We all become small servers where we didn't see ourselves as having a grand campaign. All of a sudden, now we realize I can do more to help my neighbor, to help the people across the street, to help the people in my city. I don't have to have it all. I can do something small, but it can make a big difference in someone's life. And the worst thing that could happen is that we could get back to normal. And once we're back to normal, we could stop seeing ourselves as the possible solution to the people around us in a greater way than we had ever imagined. Maybe the question is, God, what do you see in me that can contribute to the world around me in a greater way? Or a question like this, what area of life is God testing to make me stronger? In other words, what's that one muscle that I need to work out more? What's that one characteristic that I need to hone in on a little bit more? What's that one habit that I need to develop a little stronger? What's the one thing God is testing with the wind to make it stronger in my life for another season? Or a question like this, God, how can you reach more people because of this situation in my life? Not just this global situation, your personal situation. Nan's situation, 
where the, the page turns and it's like, I'm gonna make it. I can't change the situation. But God, how can you use this situation to reach more people for your glory? I was talking to a friend last week who doesn't know much about church culture and the person said to me, I'm sure this is really hurting you guys at the church because you can't gather and people can't show up on Sunday. And I guess you guys are really struggling right now. And I said, man, we're not struggling at all. I mean, we are definitely challenged, trust me. But we are serving our city day by day by day. We are out in the community in big ways and in small. We are gathering our church body. We are Zooming all over the place, actually making phone calls. Who would have thought? And talking to people voice to voice. There's a lot of strength in the house. And on the weekends, nobody's showing up at the buildings, but our message is going 1x, 5x, 10x, in some cases 50x to what we would have normally been able to do on a Sunday. And the person's jaw just hit the floor thinking, I had no idea. But see, that's the way it works. Under pressure, the true gospel heartbeat never stops beating. In fact, under pressure, your pressure, the pressure of your trial, the pressure of your pain, the pressure of what God's bringing you through, the story of God's grace just goes further and louder than ever before. What question do you need to invite God into? Maybe it's the question, what idol is God wanting to expose in my life that I need to get rid of before I go back to normal? In other words, what have I created, put my trust in, which I've learned now in this situation, whatever the situation is you're in, I can't count on that to bring me through. And I don't want to make the mistake of just getting through it and re-entering the world, that idol still in my story. I want God to reveal it because situations like this do reveal it. It's like with Peter, I'm bold, I'll be with you to the end. And Jesus said, no, in the next 24 hours, Peter, there's going to be a big mirror put in front of you. And you're going to see how strong and how bold Peter really is. And it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. See, pressure reveals what was already there. The church may have looked great on the outside, but all of a sudden the big storm, you realize the church wasn't as vibrant as it needed to be. Our lives, they, they may have sounded bold in our worship and our praise, but they weren't as bold as we thought they were when the darkness fell and our light began to flicker and waver and more than anything, we weren't sure we were going to make it. So maybe God's just trying to reveal what is there that needs to go? But his heartbeat in it all, why there's joy in it all is because at the end of it all, he says, I want this enduring perseverance. The word actually there, persevere, means to remain. The winds came, the storm came, but through all these trials, I'd embraced them. 
I wasn't glib about them, but I'd embraced them because I knew God was using them. And every storm made me stronger. Every trial made me stronger. And it was building into me that sense of remain. I can remain. I know no matter what, I'm going to remain. Our house, we're going to remain. We're built on the solid rock of Jesus and his word. We're going to stand when the rains come and the winds come. We will still be standing. And almost every major hurricane, it seems like there's an image like this one. This one's from Hurricane Ike, which hit off the coast of Texas. And in a clear cut wipeout from the force of the storm, somehow by the grace of God and probably by some of the investment that was put in the structure of the home, one home remains. Everything is gone, but one home is still standing. And what God is saying today is, that's you. You're like, no, that's not going to be me. I, uh, my roof blew off three weeks ago. My, my porch was gone at the first sign of gale force winds, that's not gonna be me. And God is saying, no, that is gonna be you. I have a purpose and I have a plan for you is to conform you, prune you, sift you, test you, make you strong, finish and complete the work. I might have to start with 80 grit and that won't feel awesome, but at the end, I'll have a t-shirt putting a shine on your life that is absolutely stunning and beautiful as you are looking more and more like Jesus. At the end of the day, your story is not gonna be that you went under at the end of the day by the glory of God, the grace of God, and to the glory of God, you are going to be standing no matter what comes your way. I want to finish the work and I want to make you strong so that you will be mature and you will be complete, lacking nothing in this storm and in the ones to come. It's time to turn the page. You're going to make it. You're like, well, Louie, how do you know? Because you made it to here. God is interested, by the way, in you making it. And you have made it to here. Some of you would have thought there is no way I'm going to make it 24 hours. You have been through such hardship, such pain, such loss. But here you are, by the grace of God. It might not have been the prettiest road, but you're still standing. And the enemy has got you looking at the collateral and God wants you to see the aerial. You're still standing by the grace of God. And it's time now to turn the page and say, I'm going to make it. Lord, I'm asking now, what is it going to make of me? Will you use it to finish what you're thinking about for my life? Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? Joy in the trial, because God can use it all to do the amazing work that only he can do. Maybe for you, the step today is to start that journey with Jesus.
You know, Jesus didn't fast forward to Easter Sunday. He actually chose the glory in the grind, the grit of life on planet Earth, death on a cross in your place, burial descended into the depths of the earth, all because he knew that in the grind of becoming God in human flesh, taking on the sins of the world, being crucified in our place, that in that grind, that daily obedience to his father, that daily choosing to lay his life down in that grind, that's where the glory was. And today you have the opportunity of taking hold of the glory of forgiveness of everlasting life, of a brand new relationship with God, of being born again in this moment as a son or a daughter of Almighty God, not by works, not by your effort, not by your good deeds, not by the name of a church that your parents went to, but because you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus and he brought you from death spiritually to brand new life. If you were encouraged by today's talk, Be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.